what a pleasure. We dads have to stick together. So I'm, I'm a little flummoxed this morning. Normally there's a fire burning over here. <laughs> the fire's gone out. Now if there's anything more central to keeping the home fires burning than the blessing of the Father, I don't know what. But that's okay. We'll make our own fire today. But normally there's a fictitious fire burning over here. So today the fire is going to be in our spirits. How's that? All right. All right. Um, I'm Steve Herman. I am uh, the proud husband of Jeannie Herman right here down the front. And the proud father of Neely who this morning is worshiping in Wheaton, Illinois, with her husband, Stephen, who's also preaching today. Um, I'm also the proud father of Stephanie, who is about to wend her way back from Thailand with Robert and Hallie Hudson, Joshua and John Mark. I'm the proud father of my son, Christopher, who is here this morning, the only one of my children that's here, with his friend, Eva. So I'm so glad one of the three made it. Um, Just a quick look at the history of Father's Day in this country. It actually was probably first celebrated in about 1908 in West Virginia. And it grew out of a mine disaster in which 361 miners lost their lives. So in one day, about 1,000 kids were rendered fatherless. And one of the women in the community took upon herself to go to the pastor of a Methodist church and say, We've got to cry out to God, and we've um, we've got to honor our dads. And so it didn't spread beyond Fairmont, West Virginia. But two years later, a woman, Sonora Smart Dodd, um, in Spokane, picked up on this, and she knew that two years earlier. Another woman from West Virginia had become, had started Mother's Day. And she said, we have to do that. Sonora Smart Dodd was actually the daughter of a Civil War veteran who raised six kids as a single dad. And so for some 30 years, Sonora Smart Dodd fought to get Father's Day recognized. She didn't. But what she did catch was the attention of the merchants. Now, if the merchants can make a buck off Dad's Day or Father's Day, they will. So they took up the chalice, if you will. And finally, in 1972, it was proclaimed by Richard Nixon as a national holiday. Well, in God's kingdom, I don't think there's anything more important than the blessing of the Father. So this topic is at the very heart of God, who is a father and a blesser. That's who he is. He's a father. And so I am super pumped to be talking about the blessing of the father. I, of course, I'm a father. I had a father. All of you had a father. So this is inescapably part of all of our lives today. So I want to jump in here. And first of all, I want to create definitions. So there's always a need for a frame of reference for what we're discussing. 
So when Robert talked about the armament of the spirit, he was really giving visible proof of something that existed in the spiritual. So when he talked about the implements of warfare that we wield against Satan, it was the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, um, the, the feet fitted with, fitted with the readiness of the gospel. These are, these are visibly evident things that call out a spiritual reality. So when Kendall spoke about um, the pieces of his life where he needed to trust God, his marriage, his finances, his career, he was calling out spiritual principles over the natural world, over the material world. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father who art in heaven, thy kingdom, which is a spiritual kingdom, thy kingdom come on earth. So Jesus taught us to pray, praying in the spiritual realities of his kingdom into this kingdom. Okay? And that's always true. When a preacher gets up to preach, you've always got to look for the visibly evident and the spiritually evident. And if your spirit hasn't been made alive in God, you can't get the second piece of that. It says in 1 Corinthians, the natural man discerneth not the things of the spirit. So if God has not quickened your spirit, it's going to go right over your spiritual head when the spiritual truths come out. So this morning, what we're trying to do is interweave the spiritual realities of fatherhood and the blessing of God through fathers into the natural realm. How's that sound? All right. All right. So um, first slide, I think, should be bless. So in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word Barak, yes, that's our president's name, Barak. It means blessing. Wouldn't you like to have a name, Barak, that meant blessed or blessing? I mean, what an awesome name. It means to kneel or to bless. It means to endue with power for success, prosperity, fecundity. I love that word. Longevity. Fecundity means prolific. Uh, a woman who has 10 children would be fecund. Uh, uh, a writer that wrote 20 books would be fecund, fecundity, prolific. It's a great word. So the one who is blessed is given a rich and abundant life. Okay, so when we go on and we read passages about the blessing, keep this in mind. This is great because, again, it, it means to, it's not just words. A blessing is not just words. It actually means something is happening in the spiritual realm. And it is in doing one. So if I speak a blessing on Jonathan, I am in doing him with power for success, prosperity, fecundity, longevity. And that's the context in which we're proceeding here. Okay. Um, second slide is, um, so in the New Testament, and, you, and you'll see this other thing going on here. There's the Old Testament and the New Testament. They're, they're one. And when you read commentators that talk about, well, in the Old Testament, God was this way, and in the New Testament, he's this way, don't believe it. It's one God. God, uh, Jesus Christ, same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, it is, 
There are different manifestations, but they are the same God. And so that's the beauty of the Old and the New Testament. We weave them together. So in the New Testament, the comparable idea is translated from the Greek as eulogeo, actually. And it means to speak a blessing. But there's so much here that I can't get into today. Logos comes into here. God, um, word, you know, the, the, um, the living word where it says logos in John 1. There is so much about this word. But it means to speak well of, to praise or to bless. So when someone passes away and they give the eulogy, they're saying nice things about that person, which that person can't hear anymore, unfortunately. But that's where, that's where the word comes from, eulog et al. All right, good. So that's blessing. Now let's go to father because we're going to interweave the blessing and fatherhood or f- the father quality. All right. I know this is long, but I'm going to call out certain things in here that really matter. But in the Old Testament, the, f- the, the father word is Abba, A-B, but it, it looks like just A-B, but it's Abba. It occurs almost 1,200 times in Hebrew, nine times in Aramaic. Okay, so it means literal father, the one who gives seed that procreates. It gives life, literally, father, grandfather. It's a title of respect. Um, It's the founder of a tribe or a family group. So in in here, this is important. In the Old Testament, the father is responsible for the well-being of the household and for its discipline. He guarded and provided for his family. But this is the key. This is the key to this whole message. His primary responsibility was to communicate a living faith in Yahweh to the next generation. Okay, so we'll keep that in mind as we look at the life of Abraham. Next slide. In the New Testament, the Greek word pater corresponds to the Greek, the Hebrew word abba. In the Old Testament, we don't see a lot of references to God as father. He is, and everything he does imports fatherness. He takes care of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He he has personal relationship with Moses. Moses cries out and says, God, I can't go into the promised land without your blessing. It's very personal. It's very relationally based. But In the word, you don't see a lot, God the Father. It talks about fathers like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So then we have the Old Testament refers to God more as like creator, the originator of the people of Israel, because mostly the Old Testament is about God relating to a people group that was supposed to spread his salvation to the ends of the earth. In the New Testament, we see God as part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So the key about this is that the Father is a relational concept. It, it makes no sense apart from relationship. So when we, take, when we take spiritual principles and extract the relationship out of it and turn it into religion, we have just killed the very essence of the revelation of who God is. And that is so key. And that is why I think God revealed himself as a father. Because at the very core of his relationship with mankind is this intimate relationship of father. I mean, intimacy 
creates fatherness. I mean, think about it. And then throughout one's life, intimacy brings richness to a father and his son or a father and his daughter. It's that intimacy of communication, of communion that brings. So that, that's kind of the backdrop for where we're going with this, with this message. Okay, so the prototype, I think there's a slide for this uh, next principle. So there's prototypes and archetypes. And a prototype is a thing that other things copy. So you could say the prototypical cell phone is the iPhone. You could. You could also say the prototypical uh, cell phone is a droid or an android. But it simply means a type after which other things are copied. And that's the thing. When it's a person, it's an archetype. So, as we'll see here, Abraham is an archetype of fathers. Okay. So, the first thing we're going to look at, is there a slide on prototype? Prototype for the blessing of the father is God's blessing of his son, Jesus, when John the baptized when John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. And I think this is so key because it says in Matthew three sixteen through 17, I think we have that slide. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So leave that up a minute, please. Okay, so what's happening here? We're, we, we see the intersection of the spiritual and the natural. Jesus is coming to bring spiritual life. But he's, he's flesh. He's incarnate. And so, just like us, since he's fully human, whatever he would ask us to do, he would do. So he says, you know, when you accept Christ in your heart, then you become baptized as a, as a visible uh, message of your affiliation with God, of your in. I'm in. And so when we went to the ocean recently and had a baptism, that was simply you who were baptized saying, I'm in. I'm going to follow Jesus all my life. So Jesus does this too. And then something happens again in the natural where those who are watching this, they hear this voice call out, this is my beloved son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Okay, so here is the prototype for the blessing of the Father. It, it consists of two things, and I think I have a screen for this. Identity, which is relational. So you're going to see this theme throughout this message is that God is a relational God. That's who he is. That's why he, that's why he presents himself as the trinities. There's three. There's relationship. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It says in John, um, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So as we, once we accept Christ and we move forward in life, we are always trying to call in the spiritual into the natural. And, and they, don't, they don't mesh easily. And that's why we fast sometimes, to quell the flesh, to call out the spirit. That's why we have FaceTime. Not quiet time, like Jonathan said last week. It's FaceTime, where we're calling the spiritual into the natural. Okay, so 
keep this in mind. It's identity, which is about relationship. So I say to Chris, I say, Chris, you're my son. There's, there's a whole lot that goes into that when I say you're my son. Okay? Jeannie gave birth to him. We raised him. He has our values. He has our DNA. He has our shared history. Same thing with Jesus, being with the Father. It's all about relationship. Secondly, the Father says, with him I am well pleased. He says, hey, I love Jesus. He's great. He's doing something no one else wants to do, namely go and die for the world. So it's interesting that this is at the beginning of uh, Jesus' public ministry where God blesses him in front of witnesses. So those two things, identity and affirmation. Okay, next slide. Now we move on to the archetype. So that's the prototype for the blessing of the father. Now the archetype is Abraham. God selects Abraham very consciously and intentionally as an archetypal father. And he's a father in the spirit, but he's a father in the natural too. And it, a lot of Abraham's story is about his struggle in the natural to be a father in the spiritual. Okay? So God tells him at 75 to leave his country and go into a country of which he knew not. And God was going to make him a father of nations. He was going to make nations come out of him. And it takes 25 years for the promised son, without which there was no fatherness for this purpose, to come. Okay, next slide. Okay, these are the, there's two, I think there's two, there's a screen on blessing and there's a screen on father. And you can see how, through the word of God, God is weaving these two together. So they're inextricably related. God is a blesser and he's a father. And he, he puts that mantle on us. Again, it's all about the spiritual and the natural. So this is not just a spiritual principle that stays up in an ivory tower. This is a principle that comes in. And so all the fathers here today, all of you who have been fathered, all of you who are going to become fathers, this is at the heart of the blessing of the father. And we all want the blessing of the father. So uh, God says to Abraham in the previous verse, he says, uh, leave your country and go to a country of which I'm going to show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. All the blessing that we talked about, okay? I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So he is going to bless Abraham and Abraham's going to be a blessing. So it's going through Abraham to others. It's not just for Abraham. Next, all peoples. Oh, don't skip that. That's our church's name. 12.3, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Isn't that great? That's who we are. We're all people's church. And so we're part of that promise of Abraham. All peoples on earth will be blessed through us. Okay, next screen. Now we switch to the New Testament. So a lot of times the New Testament is calling out the spiritual principle for something that happened in the natural in the Old Testament. And here in Romans, you see that. It says, therefore, the promise comes by faith. The promise of eternal life comes by faith so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law. I think they should say law. My, my bad. 
but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. Abraham's our father. He is the father of faith. Next, next passage, please. Galatians 3, 7, 9. Understand then that those who believe in Jesus Christ are children of Abraham. The scriptures foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Okay, so that's, that's just the backdrop. I haven't even started to preach yet. That's just the backdrop, okay? But that's okay. I'm halfway done, according to Jonathan. Um, okay, next slide. Okay, so pulling out the principles that we've just been through, the blessing is from, the fa- is from God. God said to Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. So it emanates from God. The father is a conduit of blessing by faith. So dads, we are but stewards or custodians of our children. They are his and we care for them for God for a time. Okay. Now this is good news because it kind of takes the pressure off dads. All they've got to do is be true to God. God is the source of the blessing. So if a father is in relationship with God, He's getting his marching orders, his direction, his strength, his guidance from God. And that's what, that's what happened in Abraham's life. We don't have time to go into Abraham's life. But if, if you want to be enthralled, read from Genesis 12 through about Genesis 29. This, this is our spiritual father. This is our spiritual father. But he lived a life like you and me. He messed up. He wasn't perfect. Sometimes he got off track. He got chided. I mean, he did just some goofy things. But that's good because that's who Jesus came to save, was people that do goofy things. And so here's Abraham, pre-incarnate. We're going to be with him in heaven because he was a man of faith. He looked ahead to that kingdom that wasn't yet evident. Okay. So my story a little bit. Um, I grew up in upstate New York. I was born to Bill and Myrtle Herman. And uh, we didn't have a lot. My dad was what you'd call blue collar. I don't think he got any further than the eighth grade. My mom got a GED. But my dad loved to read. And uh, probably four or five years before I came along, uh, my dad got saved. He'd been... uh, my dad was Russian and spoke Russian and was Greek Orthodox. It came from a very religious family, crucifixes on the wall and everything, but didn't know Jesus. And so a man witnessed to him one day, and my dad was like, no, that can't be. My dad would have told me that. And the guy says, no, no, it's right here in the Bible. So my dad was blown away, accepted Christ, changed like that. Gave up all his old habits and really went for it. So... What that meant for me was we went to church regularly. I saw my dad pray and read the Bible like an hour every night. He's a very disciplined man. Um, he, he brought his beliefs, his faith very much into our lives. Um, so 
this happened, uh, you know, from the time I could read at, at, at four, my dad led me to the Lord. I remember sitting on his lap on the couch. I was baptized. I just remember I had a little white shirt and a red sweater. I can remember women saying, oh, you're so cute in that red sweater at four years old. My dad taught me the word. I knew probably a hundred verses when I was five. It was crazy. And so it was imprinted in my heart, and that was my life. When um, I have four sisters, and I'm right in the middle, so I have two older and two younger. And when my, uh, when my dad, or when I was about nine, my dad started to get sick, and it turned out he had Lou Gehrig disease, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, which is fatal. We didn't know that at the time. didn't know that much about Lou Gehrig disease at the time. But my dad ends up passing away two years later. So... Uh, from the time I was nine to the time I was 11, we were dealing with that as a family. Didn't have money to put him in the hospital or getting care. The veterans at that time did not recognize ALS as a service-related uh, injury. Uh, they since have, interestingly. My mom now gets uh, a, fed, a federal stipend because my dad died of ALS just for a, a window of guys who were in World War II. Interesting how that works. But uh, So my, my father actually died uh, the day I was watching him. My mom would, my mom was taking care of my dad alone except for us kids. And so someday she just needed to get away. And this, this afternoon she was gone with my, my two older sisters and they went for two or three hours. During that time, my dad went into a coma. I didn't know what a coma was at 11. So I uh, went to a couple neighbors and they're like, Hey, no problem. Your mom will be home. You know, I don't want to get involved. So I'm like, this is weird. I know dad's not dead. I know he's not living. What's happening here? So that night he passes away. So um, that was in November of 1962. So shortly after that, my mom comes to me and says, um, dad wanted me to get you a football. Now I was a football fanatic at that time in my life. And, uh, and I had just won second place in the local Ford contest, pass, kick, and punt. So my dad was um, kind of affirming that. And so my mom come, and this is not the football. The football I can't find right now. It's somewhere. But Chris brought this today. So this is a, a visible symbol of a spiritual principle. Um, so my mom, after my dad passes away, gives me this football and says, here, your dad was proud of you. He thinks every boy should have his own leather football. And so here. So he gives me this football. So who can, I, who can I give this to? I thought Christian or Leo was going to be up here. So, Jonathan, hold this football until later, would you? Um, okay, so my dad had 11 years to give me the blessing of the Father. And then he was gone. Then he was out of my life. So he was just the steward of me. And during those, during those years, he got to impress upon me the spiritual realities that are the blessing, that actually are the blessing. Then it was up to God to watch over me. My dad couldn't anymore, but he had, he had impressed on my heart the principles of the word that would guide my life up to this very day. And my heart, it was impressed on my heart, my spirit. And so I went on with my life. I grieved for a year and then I shut it off. And I really only grieved again 30 years later. 
now we can shut down. And so when my dad died, I think I cried for a year, and that was like, okay, I'm done with that. But I hadn't really grieved. I, I was wounded from that, you know, the absent father wound. And if you've lost a dad young, you might know what that feels like. But God was faithful. So I had, I had church friends. I, w- I sang in a quartet in high school. We did our own gigs. We'd go to Massachusetts. We had fun. I sang in choirs, church choirs. I, I went to college. I went to a Christian college. I met the most wonderful woman in the world. Sorry, guys, I got the, the most wonderful woman in the world. Um, we prayed. When we dated, we prayed about our kids, about the future. I, probably in this context, that would be drawing out someone's heart, Jonathan. Well, that wouldn't be a good thing. But it worked out for Jeannie and me. We're still here. Actually, after the first date, I said, I'm going to marry that woman, and I did. Now, I'm not recommending that here, of course. <laughs> different time, different, different mores, if you will. But it worked out really well for us. But remember, the spiritual principle here is for, my dad only had me for 11 short years, and really only had me for nine because he became uh, incapacitated. So, in fact, towards the end of his life, I would lie in the bed with him and read him the Bible. There was like this reversal. And he couldn't even speak. You'd lose your ability to speak. But he would kind of like moan when I got to a really good passage. He'd go, oh, like that's good, you know. Well, what impact is this having on a 10 or 11-year-old kid? You're like, this is important. <laughs> if my dad is dying and he, he loves this stuff more than anything, it leaves a deep impression on your heart. Okay. So God stays with me. The blessing of the Father is still all over my life. But God took up, God takes up the baton, if you will. I had men in college that mentored me. I had two profs that fathered me. I married a wonderful woman. We stayed in church. And I'm not saying I did it all right. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that because the blessing came from God, even though my dad passed away, I was in good hands. Okay, next, next slide. So the blessing is spiritual first and foremost. But it shapes and informs and guides the natural. So in the case of Abraham, for example, it's very clear that the blessing is the gospel. Out of Abraham's seed, the tribe of Judah, comes Jesus. And out of Jesus comes salvation for the world. But if you look at Abraham, Abraham's life, this blessing is played out very much in the natural. The whole idea of getting a son in the natural, of reclaiming his cousin Lot or his nephew Lot when he is stolen by kings in Sodom. Um, I mean, time after time, it's the spiritual being played out in the natural. Okay, so for us, for example, what would that look like? So for me, um, when Jeannie and I were raising our children, there were different times when we just had to invoke the spiritual. The spiritual was all around us. We, we raised our kids in the fear of the Lord. But there were times when the spiritual had to be, had to trump the natural. So for example, and I'm not telling stories out of school, Steph will tell, has told this story in Mexico and probably here on the stage. But in college, she was having too much fun, if you know what I mean. So her senior, her freshman year in college at the University of Illinois, I might call down there at 1130, and she'd just be getting ready to go out. And usually at a 
campus, nothing good happens after midnight, right? So at the end of that year, we had, we had a meeting. We said, look, Steph, we, we'd, we'd like it if you'd apply to some Christian schools and um, go on a mission trip this summer. And so she did. And if you've heard her story, you know that her life turned around that year. Okay. Now, the weird thing is this. Jean and I always followed God. We really did. And Jeannie was usually out ahead of me, quite frankly. So if, if, there was, if there was more hunger and thirst for God, a lot of times it was Jeannie calling it out ahead of me and saying, hey, Steve, let's do this. But in the case of Stephanie, what, what was happening there was the spiritual principles of our life, the blessing of the Father, if you will, was being called out over Steph to say, Steph, this probably isn't a good direction. Let's look at a redirection And so Stephanie heeded the word, was touched by God out in the desert in Mexico where she had this God encounter that even today she's blown away by. And it was like God was saying, do you want in? And she's like, yes. Okay, now what was happening was Jeannie and I had set her up for that. And that's that's part of the blessing of the father is that a father simply sets the child up for God to take it to the next level and take it to a higher level. And if the father does what he should do. And again, this is not to lay guilt or condemnation on anybody because wherever we are, I I blew it a ton of times as a dad. But God is redemptive. That's who he is. He's, He's redemptive. He's restorative. He's about new beginnings. So whatever we've done or haven't done, today is really a new day as far as the blessing of the father goes. Even if you're a grandfather, there's redemption. I'm a grandfather. I have seven, uh, six, seven in July. There is redemption. Now, how does the Father impart the blessing? We'll try to blow through this. Okay, first of all, the Father introduces his children to God and gives them the gift of eternal life early on. My dad when I was four, Jeannie's dad when she was eight. Our kids, we, were, we always had our antenna out. Hey, has Neely accepted Christ yet? Uh, yeah, his staff... You know, and you kind of you don't want to force it down them, so you you let a, you let it kind of well up within them. But in each of our children, they came a time when, under our kind of guidance and, and hovering, they accepted Jesus. Secondly, the next one, you model loving God and serving Him. And again, if if you if you're tracking with me, what's really happening here is the blessing is maybe less about the actual verbal pronunciation and more about the conduct that gives rise to the ability to give the verbal pronunciation of the blessing. So that's why a lot of this is about conduct and action. I know from my dad's life that he he read the Bible and prayed an hour a day. I know that he studied the scriptures assiduously. When he passed away, he had a number of Bibles that were totally worn out from him going through and underlining. And we all parsed them up among ourselves. I have one of his Bibles today in a, in a plastic baggie. And you look there and there's notes in the side, and underlining. My sisters have some. That was, that was what my dad did. He loved to do that. He got feeding from the word of God. That made a, that made a deep impression on my life. Next, in difficult times... Parents need to run toward God, not away from him. So dads, when the going gets tough, run towards God. This is what we did. At a certain point in our lives, 
we had to go into bankruptcy. I've, I fancied myself a Donald Trump, got deeply enmeshed in real estate, had a lot of great success, and then 1992 came and times got rough. And we just didn't have the staying power. And so I had all these properties in Illinois and uh, Missouri and Florida. And I'm like, ah, had all these notes due. And so we were in bankruptcy for eight years. But during that time, God did this amazing thing. First of all, we were modeling running after God in a season when we could have run the other way. And we chose to stay with God. And so what God did in our lives, it was so counterintuitive. In that season, it's like the X, Y axis in our lives. My dreams for being secure, because I had the absent father wound, and for me, being secure meant having enough money to not have to worry where the next buck was coming from. Okay? So I was running that way, even though I was pursuing God. I still had this absent father wound. So when I get to this crux in the road in 1992, God is doing this thing. Jeannie and I started a community Bible study in Lake Forest. We, we were asked to be involved in church boards. We'd been on them before. We were asked again. We were involved in Young Lives. Our lives were crazy about service, almost to the point where I lost my law practice over people calling me all day long at my law office. We were running towards God as, our, as my, probably more than my wife, as my dream of being secure was going down the tubes. God was doing this whole new thing in our lives spiritually. And we were giving away. We were giving our lives away. Now, that made an impression on our children. I can tell you that. Because for a season in that season, Neely actually attended our Bible study. It was in Lake Forest, Illinois, where we lived. I think for a year, maybe two years, Neely attended our Bible study. She lived in the city. Well, she lived with us for a while. But that was, that was so great to be in ministry with Neely. Second slide, or next slide. Um, take radical chances for God in front of your children. There came a time in uh, 2003 when Jeannie and I left Lake Forest. We left the comfort of our lives there and decided to go deeper with God, and we moved to Waco. And our friends thought we had lost it. You're doing what, where, and why? And basically all we could say is we want more of God, and we feel like we can get more of God there. And we did, and we left. And you know what? We are not sorry. But that made an indelible impression. Neely went with us. A year later, Chris came along. Chris gave up a good job there. We had modeled... I had left a law firm. Jeannie had left a good uh, bakery business. We had modeled this behavior that gave rise to the blessing of the Father. And so our children saw that and took note and acted likewise. Uh, next slide. Um, this seems basic, but know your children. When, when God the Father says, this is my beloved son whom I love, it came out of relationship. They knew each other. They spent time together. Eternity, aeons, forever together. If you want to bless your children, you will spend time with them. You will learn what their love languages are, what excites them. That is so key. When, when we were, um, I called Neely last night. I said, Neely, I'm having trouble remembering our dates. We used, we used to go out. Jeannie and I would both go out on dates with the kids. And she said, well, Dad, I'm eight and a half months pregnant. I'm having trouble remembering too. But she said, the first one that comes to mind is when you took me to the Northbrook Symphony when I was in grade school. She said, we dressed up, we went. She said, that was really cool. I remember taking Steph to the Adler Planetarium for the Christmas star show. 
Chris and I went on a golf weekend to Galena, Illinois. So these things were happening in the context of community, of just getting to know each other. Make family memories. Next one, make family memories with your children. And this is so key. We, we have so many great memories. Um, I know when, when I was a kid, my dad, twice about twice a year, he'd take us to New York City, and we'd just see the neighborhoods. We'd stay in some cheap motel. We'd get a bunch of bananas and a slab of bologna. We'd eat cheap. But we saw New York City. It was so fun. We'd see Rockefeller Center, and, and we'd see the, you know, the skaters under the tree there in Rockefeller Center. We went up to the top of the Empire State Building. Memories. So I knew my dad loved me. He wanted to be with me. He wanted to spend time with me. Encourage and affirm your children. Next one. It, it talks in uh, Romans 4.17 that Abraham hoped against hope for that son. We need to impart that sense of hoping against hope to our children. I know when Neely was 30, 30-ish, not married yet, there were a lot of times when Jeannie had to speak hope over her life, speak faith into her life. No, Neely, there's the perfect person for you. Just hang on. And it happened. We, we couldn't be happier. But you see, it took a mom speaking life where there was the need for hope against hope. And then finally, affirm your child's dreams and aspirations. And that brings me back to the football. Jonathan, give me that football. So when my dad gave that football, he was no longer even there. When I got the football, he was gone. But what was my dad doing? What was my dad saying in the football? He was saying to me what God had said over Jesus at the baptism. He was saying, you're my son, and I love you. He was saying, I'm proud of you. Hey, you got second place in the local pass, kick, and pot. I'm proud of you. That was the blessing of the father. Identity, you're my son, I love you, I'm with you always. And then affirmation. He was affirming my dreams. I loved football. Now, my dad didn't know that I'd play high school football, but it wasn't that good, and I'd never go on to college or pro, but it was a dream that my dad called out. See, dads, if we just call out whatever dream is evident, God will take it to the level at which it's supposed to be. And that's what my dad was doing with the football. He was saying, you're my son, and I love you, I'm proud of you. And it mattered, the football mattered, because of the, the tableau, the picture that my dad had painted in my life. When he impressed and embossed the word of God on my heart, he ran after God. He modeled loving kindness to me. The blessing of the football, and I've titled this message, The Blessing Football Favor. Blessing-Football Favor. It wasn't, it wasn't lost. Now, did I get that then? No, I just figured this out the other day. I'm doing this message. I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, God. I see, the pic- I see the framework behind the picture of what you were doing in my life and what Dad was doing for me and to me. So if I could have the band come up, I'd...